Uh, this is uh, Rob Rhodes, who was a uh, uh, our fellow, uh, I had the honor of working with him for a couple of years, for a year, and that was two years ago. Um, and Rob's been out, uh, he joined a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Ivan Wayne, out in Oklahoma City. And um, I, I wanted him to come on because, you know, a lot of the younger people are, I mean, let's face it, some of the older generations retiring, they're, they're transitioning. And it's one of the questions that I hear from a lot of uh, young facial plastic surgeons, you know, is it, you know, how do I join someone? How does it work out? And so um, I wanted to bring him on. Thanks for joining, Rob. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. No, it's a uh, plus. It's nice to just get get caught up. So um, how's Marcy doing? She's great. She's yeah. helping wrangle around two little kids. So I know. Uh, but otherwise, well, she's doing well. I know. And, you know, I don't, I mean, Hadley wasn't, you know, that was, uh, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't really see her. Right. She was a, she was a growing parasite when we were in New York and now she's a, a full blown parasite. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and Grace is doing fine. I think yep, I see the pictures. So. <laughs> they have beautiful families. So, and I know you, you had, so, you know, your story before you did your residency in Oklahoma city, um, was what? I mean, how, you know, do you have anyone in your family in Madison? No, both of my parents are actually uh, accountants. So I guess all of their kids decided we didn't want to do that because both of my sisters are uh, nurses. One's actually CRNA and then I went to med school. Um, but otherwise, no no family uh, in medicine. Yeah. Have you worked with your, your one sister yet as a CRNA? Or I haven't. She's in, uh, she's in a different oh. hospital system. Yeah, um, I figured. So, you know, Rob had the uh, distinct advantage of being able to go back for, with family. And, um, you know, I don't think he had a choice anyway. His mother was going to get him back home one way or another, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so where did, yeah. where did you do your, your medical school? I did. I'm kind of a, or I am, not kind of, I am a homebody. Uh, I, I grew up in Oklahoma City. I did undergrad at OU which isn't far from Oklahoma City. And then I did med school at the University of Oklahoma, residency at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, I had a good year with you up in New York, and then I came right back to Oklahoma City. Yeah. So um, you've been there for two years now, almost two years, right? Yeah. Yeah. About eight, I've been working for about 18 months. Yeah. And um, did you take time after? You took about a month, right? I did. I, uh, I I think my first day was August 16th. Um, so I took a little bit of time, which ended up me being uh, the last two weeks, our, our daycare had issues. So I was daddy daycare. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I took a little time off, which I think is nice, but it's also good to get in the swing of things and start working. Yeah, I think it's good. To, I think it's important to take a little time. I didn't it was crazy. I just didn't know what I, I, I was starting a practice and I felt like I needed to be working in reality. It, it would have never mattered and you'll never get that time back again. So, right. Um, so what, like right now, what was you like, what's your average week like? So I do clinic on Mondays and Wednesdays, um, pretty much always in surgery Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then Friday is uh, typically either surgery or in office procedures and occasionally a small clinic. Um, right now, my practice is probably about 80% uh, Mohs reconstruction, 
And then uh, the rest of the 20% is cosmetic and office procedures um, and then some injectables. Yeah. How are you doing? You like the office procedures? I do. It's a lot of, you know, um, scar revisions, uh, earlobe repairs, uh, cysts, um, but they're fine. It's a time when you can kind of talk with the patient and, and do a procedure and they're kind of quick in and out things. Yeah. So when you came in, were you kind of busy from day one? Because Dr. Wayne's got a very busy practice, right? Right. It, it, I was, and that was that was a really big um, helpful point in joining him. Was uh, he, he was very busy with Mo's reconstruction um, and everything, but um, getting in such high demand for cosmetic that um, he he definitely needed um, some help with with Mo's reconstruction and and um, getting those patients taken care of since he was busy um, getting really busy with other things. So. That was extremely helpful. I was, um, you know, aside from waiting on credentialing and um, getting privileges and, and things like that, I was pretty much busy from from day one um, with working. It's really huge. I mean, yeah, it's really huge because when you first start, you, you know, you have bills and most smaller, I just say smaller, but most private practices can't afford to float big salaries. So uh, there's usually a heavily, you know, performance-based piece and you have family bills. So, you, you know, you need to get busy. Plus you want to use your training. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's really important. I think joining somebody is either they have something busy that they're willing to, to largely give up or that you can bring something unique to their practice uh, that they aren't already doing. Um, so that, that worked out really well for us. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first probably year is just trying to get your feet on the ground and know, you know, know, know who, who the people are, the players, that sort of thing, right? Right. And that I did that in the beginning, went around and met with a lot of the Mo surgeons, um, introduced myself because, you know, they had a, a longstanding trust with, uh, with Dr. Wayne. And then all of a sudden they're like, who's this new guy? Is he any good? And, and so it was important to meet them. Um, and, and as well as don't take referrals for granted. So if somebody, you know, sends me just a functional nose, I go out of my way to thank them. and and tell them I appreciate their um, their referrals. I, I hear mixed messages on going out and meeting people in the community about whether or not that's that's helpful or not. But uh, I do think, you know, sending a handwritten thank you note is uh, is helpful to keep getting referrals from patient or from uh, other providers. So you said you, you kind of hear mixed messages about meeting people. What what do you what do you mean by that? I've heard uh, some people, maybe maybe even your podcasts, uh, that said they went out, you know, to to build their practice and went and introduced themselves to a bunch of physicians and didn't feel like the, you know, they they got any benefit in terms of collecting patients from that. Mm -hmm. So I, I I I'll just share my experience. I know I've talked to you about this too. Um, <clears throat> I had for the longest time. Well, first of all. I, I I did try to do it with primary care doctors and I gave like lectures at the big family practice groups on skin cancer and they were a waste of my time. They were a waste of my time. Um, but, w w you know, to, a dermatologist doesn't want you to go out, doesn't want to go out to lunch with you. You know, I, I think right. that's kind of, to me, I felt dirty when I would do that because I did it a couple of times. But 
but people do appreciate putting a name with a face and that was always my line you know and what i would do is i wouldn't call and ask to talk to dr smith i would call and say can i speak with dr smith this is dr williams you know a new facial do you mind if i can i speak with dr smith his nurse and right usually they put you with a key nurse and you say hey my name is dr smith um you know i know dr shaw's is a really busy guy i, I just i'm new in town uh, i work with dr wayne and just wondering if sometime you know maybe the end of a day or you know end of a half day or something that could swing by and just say hello so he or she can put a name with a face so that when they see whatever and, and i also want to give my cell number if they ever need anything just and that i i felt good about and that did pay dividends um you know you'd meet you know 10 dermatologists one or two of them would give you a shot and certainly in your situation where you have a, a mose referral base already they appreciate the fact that you don't take that for granted you know and, right I used to say, you know, sometimes you call the front desk, you know, we, we try to have the best people, but sometimes you call the front desk and, you know, I'm not talking about our office, but maybe you don't get a warm reception. Here's my cell number. If there's ever a problem, right. You know, call me. And I actually had a patient. I actually had someone once uh, a dermatologist who just stopped referring patients and there was an issue and I never knew about it. I went to visit them and all of a sudden the referral gate back opened back up again. So, you know, not taking that for granted, I think, on Dr. Wayne's behalf and yours is 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 good advice. So how many referral uh, most people do you kind of do, you know, work with in, in Oklahoma City? Probably about six within Oklahoma City and then within the state, um, about nine or ten. OK, so that's a lot. I mean, um, so I. I guess what I'm saying is I would visit people, but I would make it targeted. So for me, the things that paid off are otolaryngologists and dermatologists. Beyond that, it, you know, and I would kind of tune my message depending on who I was seeing. For example, I go down to Kingston and there's a dermatologist. I would say, hey, I just you know, want to say hi. And I know, you know, you, you send patients at Dr. Mulvaney, who's a Mo surgeon, um, but it, we do a lot of his repairs and if for some reason you ever have a tough time getting into them, I mean, you know, you and I both know not all patients need bows and, and I'd give my cell number and, you know, next thing you know, they send you patients. So um, I think it's, and you've heard, probably heard, you know, Katree, that's what I preached to you guys. Just get out there because someday you're not going to have time for that. And, and uh, people do really appreciate you taking the effort, even if you right. don't. The other thing I did was, which I think is really kind of worthwhile was anytime someone sent me a patient, I would make sure I went to their office and looked them in the eye and shook their hands and said, thank you. And, you know, I'll give you an example, like up in Glens Falls, there, there's actually a facial plastic guy up there who trained with Billy Silver. And um, he came to the area and I was like, oh, another facial plastic guy. As it turns out, he got busy doing ENT and, you know, see, so he didn't, and I saw a patient from him today, but uh, he's been out in practice about eight or nine years. But when I first got my first patient from him, I got in the car and went and said hello and thank you. So those kind of things. And, you know, guess what? Um, you know, I did a facelift on the wife of an otolaryngologist that graduated from our program 17 years ago and lives in another state to yesterday. So 
those relationships go on for a long time. And that's why I always tell you guys don't ever, ever, ever take anything for granted. So, um, because just, you know, someday, you know, your Mo's guy's wife is going to think about a face-off, which by the way, our number one Mo's guy did a face-off on his wife. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, but, but that's, it's just all relationships. Right. Um, right. so, and, and I mean, what, what advice like early on would you give a young facial plastic surgeon, like in general, like as far as getting, you know, patients to come in or just as far as joining someone, I, you know, you've had some time to think about this now, what, what advice would you give someone? So definitely look for something you can either take over or bring to the practice to make it beneficial. Um, and then also look at yourself as kind of the, the newer person and, and try to help um, facilitate the culture um, being with you for that year. Um, I definitely saw how valuable um, having a good culture in the workplace is. Um, treat everybody you work with with re respect, whether it's you know the the circulating nurses, the scrub techs, your office staff. Um, I make a point every day. I do clinic to tell them at the end of the day, "Hey, thanks, I appreciate your help." Or, "Hey, that was a busy day. Sorry, we're a little late." Um, essentially, add to a, a good and already good environment. Um, the other thing is having a mentor is extremely important. Um, you're, you know, you're a fellowship director. You've been mentored probably 20, what, 25 fellows or so now. Yeah, um, but, but joining, you know, joining Dr. Wayne, um, he, he was, it was really helpful to have somebody to bounce ideas off with. Um, in the beginning, if I had a difficult case, then um, he'd, he'd scrub in with me a few times. Uh, so look to join somebody that, you know, wants you to succeed and, and just isn't looking at you as, uh, you know, possible financial asset, but, but also wants you um, to succeed. And then for, with all the training, I'd say the first year for me was, was the most difficult in terms of just learning to be comfortable in your, you know, your own skin. Um, it's a lot different when, when you become the, you know, the main person. Um, so never quit learning. Um, but also, you know, tackle things that you don't always feel 100% comfortable tackling, um, but obviously do it safely. And um, uh, the other thing that I think about frequently is, you know, doing fellowship and we're doing uh, facelift after facelift and cosmetic rhinoplasty as a fellow, you're like, oh, I can't wait to do this. And then when you start, you're like, huh, these cases kind of keep me up at night. It's nice to not do something every day that's, um, uh cosmetic in nature because they at this point um i don't really lose sleep over um mo's reconstructions regardless of how big they are but if if i have a big facelift or something that's something that keeps you know that, that i'm nervous about and thinking about all night so um don't be too quick to just want to do cosmetics which is going to be difficult to do anyway well you know i think that's a really really good point because i i you know not only do I bring people on the podcast that we talk to about that? But, you know, with social media, it's so much of it is, you know, I've been out for five, two years and I'm so busy and booked out four months of faceless. That's not realistic. And, right. um, you know, instead a different way, I always tell people, um, like the woman I did a facelift on yesterday, whose husband was one of our residents, you know, I mean, he's got gray hair, right? But but no one wants to hear that those relation those things take years and right. don't be in such a hurry like focus on being a really really good doctor and just be grateful that you have that skill and you're getting paid to do that 
uh, it, it kind of, to me, just feels so shallow and superficial to focus on that. Um, and I get it. I mean, if, if you want to be the best facelift surgeon, yeah, but it, it's going to come with time. And it's not realistic to think that you're going to, you know, do a bunch of facelifts here, your first year. You know, it's interesting because I talked to Slaughter about this. And um, so a couple of weeks ago, he had a facelift. And um, he, he, as I run, since you've been here, I, I run two rooms now. So I did three deep pain facelifts yesterday, right? <laughs> and so, so he comes up last week, he did one and he, and, um, you know, fellow's closing the one side and um, he comes up to me, goes, I don't know how you just do two of those in a day. <laughs> he goes, like the stamina, he goes, I'm exhausted. And I, you know, I only did one yep. side. And, and <laughs> part of it is, is the stress of taking someone all apart and it's, they're totally healthy. And, you know, the opportunity is, as Gene Tardy, my mentor used to say, you know, you have someone who's already well and you're given the opportunity to make them less well. And it is stressful. And I remember the people at the university used to say, you know, oh, you know, the, you guys, the stuff you guys do is all foo-foo surgery, you know. But the reality is, uh, the, you know, stakes are big, whether it's rhinoplasty or whatever. So it is, you know, it is kind of nice to to be able to really, and I've told you guys this, you know that, I mean, really work on being a really, really good surgeon first and a good doctor and the cosmetic stuff's going to come with time. And I think it's, you know, especially in the society where everyone's so impatient, um, you know, if you're grateful for that, I, I mean, you know, what else is there, right? You're, you're, you're functioning as a facial plastic surgeon. You're not doing tubes. You're not doing tonsils. You're not right. these things. And you're, you know, you're, you're really developing great soft tissue technique. I have no doubt because I, you know, I work with you. I know you're an awesome technician. So the rest is just time, you know, it's just time. And so I think that's good advice. One thing you mentioned about is, you know, the mentor being able to give something up. And I, you know, I did that with Slaughter. I gave up all the soft tissue and, and he's, by the way, he's doing about a facelift every three weeks or so. He's got one next okay. week. So he's starting to do, you know, do more of that. He's doing blepharoplasties. And as you know, he runs our hair practice. So, um, you know, that was one thing that I was able to give up completely is basically, and even since you've left, I, unless it's a facelift or a rhinoplasty, I don't do it. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I gave that up and I think it's important to have a, maybe you disagree with me. You want a mentor that's not, you know, just 10 years older than you, because if someone you know, has been doing it for a while, they're kind of getting a little burned out on the you know, on, on the Mo stuff, right? Right. But what, so you mentioned something about bringing, bringing something to the practice. Uh, um, have you thought about that? Is there anything you think you can bring that he isn't doing or that you can develop or work on? It can be another potential, you know, profit center. Uh, right. What have you thought about there? We've, we've definitely been talking about hair. Um, it's something that's going a little slowly just because I'm so busy with, um, oh everything else the the kind of the unique thing about hair is you know once you're trained in it it's important to you know be artistic and know where to make donor sites and how to harvest a strip but aside from that the the staff that helps you with hair is is you know almost equally as important and so finding a good 
hair technician and, and at some point trying to avoid um, travelers is probably my, my biggest hurdle in starting a hair practice. Um, here in Oklahoma City, we have we have a great um, environment to start the practice, but that that's something that we are, albeit slowly, but we are um, working our way into. So let me ask you. So a couple of things there. You know, if, if you you got to take time to work on the business to have a business, right? I mean, actually today we had a consultant up with Slaughter, uh, and the team there looking at our entire process. Uh, and we are working, you know, we're working on it and investing in it. And so it's hard when you're really busy, really busy to not to take time away from generating revenue and and make sure you're, you're working on the business. It's not easy putting the right. post op and structure sheets together and, you know, those sorts of, th sorts of things. And if you need any of that, obviously, you know where to get it. But um, but that's why I always tell you guys when you're here, get as much of that stuff as you can, because it's always a lot harder after the fact. Oh, I got to remember to email and see if I get the post office instructions. <laughs> but about hair, um, you know, I did the hair for about 10 years and I did at least one or two cases a week. And I did a lot of it. But a couple of things. I mean, the the techniques are these are just, you know, my words of wisdom, whatever truisms, experience learned. One. The. The techniques are so much better now. You know, uh, two, the barrier to entry is high. So, no, as you mentioned, getting the technicians on board is not easy. Um, but but I, you can start out with travelers. Um, three, the doing it the right way versus just, uh, I hate to pick on these, you know, I don't want to use a name because I don't want to be sued, but. The ones where they punch out the grass, they get sucked up in the thing and it's all, mar you know, they they sell you this on marketing at the meeting. And it's, by the way, it's conveniently priced at around 100,000 with, the you know, all that nonsense. That's not the way to build a hair practice because uh, they get you, they, they convince you that it's the marketing that's going to help you out. Right. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that's not the case. Um, but you you one thing to think of, you guys have a huge patient population. So it's a matter of educating and awareness and then. You know, you're dealing with women, they have, you know, or guys, I guess, this day and age, but, and, you know, you have, there's a relationship and somebody knows somebody who has, you know, a potential interest in hair. But um, are there any, is there anyone else in Oklahoma City that's really doing a lot with hair transplants? Uh, there's probably one other person um, that yeah. does, or one person that does a lot. I mean, do what, I'd consider a main, you know, a, a, a real player in the field. There's maybe a few artists, robots and stuff around. But in, in terms of actually doing hair, there's, I think, just one that I'm aware of. But I mean, you guys have a real you have a real population to work with. So uh, there's no question with the population you have. You have a demographic and then it's a matter of just getting it going. The one thing that, that the other truism about hair is that it is a scale it is a scalable procedure that in that you can once you really understand it and you get good at cutting graphs and you can each case really doesn't take a ton of your time which i thought you can run two or three rooms at a time so it can be going on over here and you can be seeing patients over here so um you know my buddy friend dr vito quotella i remember talking to him a few years ago do you know to this day he still does hair 
And I remember talking to him about it and I said, Vita, why? And he goes, he goes, Ed, there is no procedure that you can, you know, per unit time that you can generate as much because you can run several rooms. So if you're interested in it, it's a great, it's a great thing. And I, I think if you, if, you know, Dr. Wayne hasn't been doing it, uh, it's certainly something that you could uh, leverage and bring to the, because, you know, you had plenty of exposure and, you know, as a board eligible, you know, facial plastic surgeon who's got tons of experience in, as a surgeon, it's just not that hard. Mm-hmm. You agree? Right. I mean, you work with yes. a lot. It's, it's just not that hard. Um, what, what, you know, what are the, are you, you getting, you getting some functional noses? Is that you're working on those? Yeah. And, and a lot of those turn into, you know, if they're coming here for a functional problem, it's either they've already had surgery and they're referred by a, an ENT or they have problems breathing, but, you know, they want, they want to address the hump or the tip. So they, they turn into kind of uh, functionally and cosmetic rhinoplasties. Mm-hmm. Do you take any time to, to work on the, I mean, back in, okay, the academics, they call it research time, right? Do you take any time to work on the practice? Do you have any dedicated time for that? I don't have time uh, set aside for, do you mean having meetings and? and... No, I'm just sort of like, like, for example, uh, time to work on a YouTube video, time to, you know, work, just things that can help promotional or developmental things or, or maybe even operational things in the practice. It's usually the, the middle of the day type, hey, you want to try this, do this video, or um, hey, I got a, a photo consent, and but it, it's, it's just kind of a sporadic um, activity right now. There's, we don't have any. I'm just curious. So, what are the, you know, being in practice now two years, you're, you know, you've had great training. Um, I have no doubt that you're doing great work. What are, what are the biggest things you struggle with, uh, like on a weekly basis? I, earlier I talked about not wanting, you know, a strictly cosmetic practice. And then now at this point, um, you want to see more cosmetic uh, referrals and, and that, that is happening. Um, Dr. Wayne has quit taking, has largely quit accepting new insurance patients. So um, that's given me a lot more um functional and cosmetic noses, um, but also mainly just being patient, just like you said, things, uh, the the cosmetic stuff will come. Um, people don't typically want to see a facelift surgeon that's in their early 30s, I guess mid 30s, but um, that's why I keep a beard because as soon as I shave and I go into a room, the first person, how old are you? So um, Yeah, by the way, I got that for years. <laughs> kind of annoying, you know? I used to say I'm old enough to be, you know, here doing this stuff, you know, whatever, but it is annoying because I always look like a kid. Yeah. Um, If you were to do it all over again, is there anything, what would you do differently? Whether it's your education or, Hmm. or is it all? That's a good question. Planned. Um, no, it's it's all gone uh, really well. Um, I'm I'm thankful for the opportunity that that I've had working here because it's it's pretty unique with just starting out and being as busy as I was. Um, and like you mentioned, I'm I'm not doing and and haven't done um, any general ENT after uh, fellowship. Um, 
I think the first thing I thought about when what I want to do for for a job is, you know, you you take a step back from the job and think about, you know, what what's important to you, what what's kind of your guiding principle, and and mine is is family, um, and so you know I, I'm not working um, in an environment where I'm taking a bunch of weekend call and where I'm working late nights. Um, and typically in an academic center, if you're trying to do eight you know, Mohs reconstructions in a day, you're going to be there from seven to late at night. Um, the uh, surgical hospital I work in, um, they give me two rooms with the two anesthesiologists. Uh, so it, it's it's it turned out um, great thus far. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, I mean, the one thing that it gives you too is a competitive advantage over anyone else doing skin cancer because you know per unit time if you can be very efficient and that's actually what we're doing now um well with my face of surgery running two rooms um but slaughter as of uh july we're, we're having two fellows so he's gonna run two rooms and uh i mean my goodness you can pound out yeah cases in a short and and it'll it actually is financially First of all, these people are getting world-class care, um, but you're able to put, put them through so efficiently that it's good for the patients and it's also good for the doctor because, as and then from a competitive advantage point of view, the, the local competition can't compete because they're having a tough time getting OR time, you know, a lot of right. this Have you guys experienced any of that with having a tough time getting OR time? We haven't. Um... It, the the place where I work at, I consider it kind of a, a hidden gym. Um, they have three operating it's rooms. Awesome, it's, by the way, it to have that because I hear so many people struggling with OR time. Yeah, and the the new facility that Dr. Wayne's built out has um, procedure rooms in it where where someday we'll we will do cases um, under anesthesia. Uh, but but at least at this point, um, there's not necessarily. Um, a huge rush to do it. Um, you know, you avoid, as you've experienced, the overhead and oh gosh, and staffing. <laughs> you know, the very first time, the very first. So we opened our facility you know, twenty some years ago, and I remember looking at the operating room expenses and just being like, "Whoa!" Because, you know, I'm just using numbers, throwing them out there, whatever. It doesn't matter what they are, but like, you know, I'm seeing the practice numbers coming in, and then. You're seeing the surgery center, and it's like seventy, eighty, you know, ninety thousand dollars a month in overhead, and you're like, this is staggering. Um, and right now, particularly, we have, you know, with all the staff shortages, we have nursing, you know, nursing costs, RNs that used to go thirty two, thirty three bucks an hour, making forty six plus overtime after eight hours, one time and a half, and this is just in a year and a half. So, if I were you, I'd pump the brakes a little bit. So tell me about your new facility you, you guys built. So he he started working on it probably about two years ago. When when I was in New York, we were talking about it. Um, yeah. And we moved in about two months ago. So it's got two large uh, procedure rooms, um, six exam rooms, and then uh, a really nice kind of reception area. Um, you know, separate check-in, check-out desk. Uh, there's kind of a bullpen where all the MAs and nurses hang out. And then um, the patient care coordinator has her own office. 
the manager does. Um, and then there's a smaller procedure room, which uh, we envision being a, a hair um, room. And then there's also um, a room that's going to double as a tornado shelter because we're in Oklahoma. Uh, but also um, we have he has plans of getting a hyperbaric chamber um, as well for you know facelift uh, post-op care. Hmm. So this space, the current space you guys are in, I mean, have you moved into that yet or no? The new space? Yep, about two months ago. You did. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So where's your, where's your, how's your old space compared to that? And where is it and how big is it? And are you going to keep it and that kind of thing? The old space, it was, it was a lease. So we're out of there. Um, the new space, I don't even know how many square feet it is. Um, it, it's significantly larger. Yeah. Um, and it, it's in a much better location, visible, yeah, part part of town. It, it's kind of right off of the uh, one of the main highways and kind of a up and coming area. It's and it's across the street from an already big orthopedic um, hospital, and conveniently, the the surgery center where we do most of our cosmetic work is uh, maybe a tenth of a mile away. Oh, that's nice. That's real nice. So you haven't had problems with OR time, which is terrific. Where does no, Dr. Brown? Same place? Uh, yeah, primarily at that surgery center. Um, they offer, you know, it's really convenient for um, cash paying uh, patients. And then I do pretty much all of my skin cancer reconstruction at one facility. And then anything else that's insurance is at a, a different facility. So are you doing a lot of your Mo's and skin cancer work at the same place he's doing his AG face? No, we're in completely uh, different spots. Got it. And the reason yeah. I bring it up is it with the challenge of, I mean, so the one other advantage of having insurance and skin cancer and that sort of thing is that the hospitals facilities do well on that. So it gives you some leverage if they start to give you a hard time with, you know, pushing you out on cosmetic stuff. Um, and the fact that you've got that as leverage or, but it, it sounds like it's not an issue at all and you're in different places, right? Right, and what I, kind of what I gleaned from uh, you during fellowship is uh, the primary goal of a, having your own surgery center is, is convenience and lowering the overall costs to a patient. Um, and it's not a good idea to, to look at it as a, you know, a, a big revenue stream. Yeah, we don't, we, so there are some, red, you know, some of the red states where you can do well with surgery centers. We can't, um, you know, the, we have a very, very tight margin as I, you know, we, you and I've talked about on our surgery center, but it isn't even just keeping the cost low. It's just being able to control it. You, you know, I mean, costs are costs, but, you know, there's, there's, I, I've had colleagues of ours who, you know, all of a sudden they jack up the seriously jack up fees on facility fees and it's almost cost prohibitive for the patient at a facelift. Um, so by having your own facility, at least you have the, not only control costs or keep them reasonable, but have but, um, the efficiency and have some control on a chain of accountability as far as the people you hire and all that sort of thing. So it's kind of a, uh, a in a good direction. What do you guys see for the next five years as far as your practice goes? Um, 
you know, where, where do you, you know, where do you, what do you think are your opportunities and what, do, what are you going to work on specifically? Definitely doing more um, aging face and rhinoplasty. And that's, that's slowly picking up. Um, I mean, compared now to a year ago, I'm, I'm doing and seeing a lot more cosmetic consults. Um, I don't think I'll ever give up skin cancer reconstruction, at least for, you know, the, the distant future. I, I enjoy doing those cases. The patients are fun to work with. It's it's rewarding. Um, what that'll mean is I'll probably end up doing more cases in one day to make time for the, the cosmetic. Um, and that, that's kind of how my weeks go is, um, you know, I, I won't kill myself on a Tuesday with cases if I have an opening on Thursday and I'll do uh, move some reconstructions to Thursday. But if I'm doing a, you know, a, a facelift or a rhinoplasty on that Thursday, then I'll just kind of squeeze them all into Tuesday and make it a, a little bit longer of a day. Mm. Um, hair, I think hair, um, like we talked about, is, is a great opportunity here. Um, it's just kind of getting over that initial hurdle of, of getting the right staff and um, equipment. Yeah, I agree. So sounds like, you know, you're happy. What? What has probably been the biggest single thing that has made things work out with you and Dr. Wayne? Um, Communication. A lot, of, a lot of relationships fall apart. One of my former fellows called me. We talked this weekend for a while and he's struggling. He's been somewhere for a few years now and there's no discussion about a path to partnership, equity piece. And, you know, and he's beside himself. He says, I've been as patient as I can be. And, and every time I try to call a meeting, the meeting gets, you know, kind of brushed off. And um, so I, I, what, do, what do you, you know, you kind of add or toward the end of the honeymoon phase? I mean, what do you think has worked well with you uh, for, you know, keeping things, um, you know, going positive, growing? Right. Uh, I think one, try and be easy to work with, you know. Um don't ever feel entitled to anything because especially in, in my position, you're not, um, I look at it as a good opportunity, um, that I was fortunate enough to be able to, to join. Um, we, you know, communicate openly, um, that's a wise thing, making time for communication. Right. Um, we'll meet and kind of talk about partnership and what it looks like. Um, also, he's, you know, in the past when we've talked about things where you've um, been able to kind of not negotiate, but, you know, there's there's feedback on on both sides. Um, and, and then I think just, again, being easy to work with, not only with whoever you join, but also the staff uh, be amicable to work with, you know, add to the environment and don't don't make it um, a less enjoyable place to work with, work for or work in. But um you know, make people enjoy coming to work. Yeah, I, you know, don't come up, you know, don't come with a complaint unless you have a solution, right, too. Right. I mean, one of the things we started doing, Rob, I think has been really helpful. Um, you know, your senior person, in our particular case, I have the majority of the stock. Um, somebody, you know, the person with the most, there's a, a book written by Ray Dalio, um, and Ray Dalio was a uh, he was the CEO founder of Bridgewater, which was a uh, big, huge fund that, that invests internationally. And and um, 
very successful. He's probably one of the top 100 influential people in the world, uh, one of the biggest 25 private businesses in the world. And, you know, I, I learned something reading his book called uh, Decision Points, which is right over there on my table. Um, and that was given to me from Ureta, um, who you know. Uh, yeah. Ureta, who's now going to, we're going to make him, uh, you know, make him partner in July. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that was said, what he says in this book is there's life principles and there's business principles, right? So, and business principles are ubiquitous. I mean, if, if I don't care whether it's a selling RVs or it's running a medical practice, you never let one person get indispensable, right? We, we've talked about this. You have that indispensable employee, but you as the majority equity owner, um, have taken all the risk. So, but you, but if you really want to grow and be effective and make it a thriving culture, it's important to hear everything from everybody, right? And so what, what Ray Dalio would do is he would have, so he maybe has 20 people giving input on the fund. These are, now you might have a 27 year old Harvard Business School grad who has a certain uh, perspective on international funds and what's going on with Japan and, you know, something you're investing in. So what he does is he has these forums where they discuss and debate and whatever, but the decisions are equity based. I mean, he who has to take the risk and owns the equity and which is ultimately was him until he um, sold out and they bought him out. But, but with that, you want the communication. And so what I started doing now, which I think has been very helpful, is that, you know, I listen to Slaughter and I listen to Polynesia put together, and this is where we're going with this, is the communication piece, I think. Now, Monique, who you know, she was one of our directors of development, trying to grow us. And, and I, I gauge her on how much we're growing. Do it because Slaughter doesn't want to be at every meeting. Polynesia, they just want the information. So we're now putting together a quarterly newsletter whereby she communicates from the leadership team all the information down to everybody else. And then what, what I do is twice a month, this is the first and third, I think, Monday uh, at 5.30 p.m., we have coffee hour. Come with things that you are concerned about, you have suggestions and whatever, and then these guys bring it up. I have the managers answer the question. For example... I want to work with Jane or Sarah. Um, I really, that's the person I want to work with. And, you know, why, why can't I just work with those two people? I don't want to work with the rest of the team. And then I say, you know, um, Allison, could you tell Dr. Slaughter, you know, why that's not what we do here? And so part of it is mentoring and teaching them, but part of it's also communication. We have, we've learned those principles that one, it's got to be fair to all the nurses. You can't have favoritism, right? We know that. Um, and by the way, sometimes, you know, Sarah or Jane is sick and now you have no, you know, it's just so you can't you know, mandate who you want to work with. And I found that to be very helpful because it's not like Susan says, we can't do this. It's, you know, the managers who I have spent a lot of time mentoring, teaching, training, um, and it's not getting and, and so now there's some discussion and communication when we have these you know i i start the meeting off by saying listen 
these decisions are all equity based. I'm, I sign personally for every financial decision we make, but I want it to be fair and I wanted to make good business sense. But I have learned that that communication piece has been huge. And so giving some or having some structured communication time, maybe not even where you make decisions. I, I, and it's something that was, I would say missing, but something that took me, you know, I had our managers meetings, but I would discuss with the managers. I would take time out of my schedule to work on the business, but I wasn't effectively communicating this to, and as you get bigger and you have more partners and people involved, because I know Dr. Wayne's looking talking about plastic surgeon, I think it becomes important, you know, even at associate level, maybe not a partner level, to have those discussions and conversations. And I think where I've seen so many problems with some of our colleagues who end up, you have a great relationship for five years and it falls apart, or like the person that I was telling you about, one of my former fellows that called me this weekend, like, just like, I don't know what to do. It's because the communication's not there. Um, so, I, you know, from my experience, uh, more communication is always, always better. Um, you know, the person may not like, but if they trust you, um, right. you know, and, and by the way, if, you, if you're not communicating anything, you know, the, the old saying, like, what's the opposite of love, right? The opposite of love is, is uh, indifference. Like you just, after a while you drift apart. And so, um, but anyway, that's something that I've just even learned the last couple of years of doing this, how important the communication is. It's too easy in what we do to, uh, you know, be too busy. Right. We're too busy to talk. And next thing you know, I haven't seen slaughter in three weeks, you know, that kind of thing. So um, any other, you know, if you were to do things over again, anything else you would do differently? Hmm. You know, I, I really, I really don't think so. Um, Not for uh, question. That's okay. That's a good. That's yeah. Good. I, <laughs> No, I, I really don't think so. Um, you know, I, I probably read and study more now than I ever did, um, which, you know, I still read a lot in residency too, but um, it's, it, at least for me, it was intimidating uh, coming out and starting. Um, you don't you don't really realize that feeling until you're there. And it also makes you look back on your former mentors and, and uh, attendings that, you know, let you touch their patients and take care of their patients. And you're like, wow, I, this is stressful with me taking care of them, much less letting somebody else do it. Well, it's funny that my son-in-law, Dan, you know, he's, uh, he's doing his fellowship. He's in the city and he's got like these clinic patients, right? I mean, I don't know how they work this, how they make this happen where these clinic patients are getting facelifts and shit. But, um, <laughs> he said to me the other day, he goes, you know, I never realized now because I work with residents and, you know, there's a lot of pressure for you to let them do stuff. He goes, he goes, I can't wait to not work with residents anymore because I'm like stressed <laughs> out because like, you know, I'm trying to do a deep plane facelift and, you know, and or whatever. And, or, you know, even a rhinoplasty and you know, they want to do the septum and he's like, I don't want the septum of mess. I, I you know, so. <laughs> realize and it's it's tough with the cosmetic patients for years you know i'd i remember even like i i you know i felt you know like as i've gotten the last couple of years where i i you know I, in my early years i'd lift a fellow raise the flap and this and then you go back and they're like or or you know there's like holes in the smash and you're like jesus <laughs> <laughs> i 
experiences and and stressful. <laughs> um, but you know, it's all part of the process. Well, look, I don't, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. It was really good to catch up with you. I'm, I'm so, you know, I have no question in my, I mean, you have an amazing demeanor and just don't change because that's, uh, ego doesn't help us out um, ever by having a big ego. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for your future. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad you're home. I, you know, I have my kids home. So, you know, I'm sure your mom, tell your mom I was asking about her. <laughs> yeah, you, you tell my second mom up there I was asking about I her. Will. I, I will. <laughs> yeah, as, as Susan was a little emotional when you left, but uh, um, but no, um, we, we, we still have a lot of the same great people, as you know. Uh, I don't know when Susan's ever going to retire, you know. Um, yeah, I, but we're still having fun and, you know, we're still growing and doing new things. And um, our Rejuva Center, the new Rejuva Center is almost open and it's the space is amazing um we renovated the whole building i mean i started out you know with just got to be and then it was it's the roof all the windows have been replaced the siding's all been replaced the parking lot's all new landscapes new i mean you name it lighting signage uh but it's uh we renovated the you know the surgery center but uh i'll have to at some point watch for the videos you'll see them but they're yeah we we'd love to we talk about going back up there just to kind of visit some of the old places we you know used to go yeah. out on the weekends bring the kids so it would be fun to go brothers see you guys used to like to, like to go to brothers yes. right i went to, <laughs> i'm a few weeks ago with uh our daughter lydia and her boyfriend and it's a pretty cool place. The one downtown I went by down, yep. down downtown. But uh, well, listen, I, I haven't given up on getting out to Oklahoma City because uh, um, that's my plan is to get around to visit my fellows. I am going to see Jenna um, going out to visit her. My niece is uh, Sherry's niece is graduating from law school in, in Minnesota, so Minneapolis. So we're gonna we're gonna fly out here and, and oh, see. Oh, great! We we will get out there at some point. And I don't know when it is, but that's my. I'm going to see Tim Minton in May. We're going to visit him. But that's my new thing. I want to go visit, visit go visit my former fellows. You know, life is so crazy. I have a little more time at this point. So I uh, want to, you know, come out and see what you guys go have going on. And I like Ivan. I mean, he's, you know, I met him, gosh, 2010, and we kind of hit it off. And uh, he's a good guy. So I, I want to see, uh, you know, I want to see your practice. I'm actually going to have him on, uh, you know, on the podcast. Please tell Marcy I said hi. And right. uh, enjoy things. And thanks for taking the time to talk, you know, talk about this. people really appreciate this, you know, sharing this stuff with the next, you know, the guys coming up, you know, the residents are trying to think about how to do this in the, in the fellow. So, all righty. All right. Well, thank all you right. for having me. Yeah, thanks again, Rob.